So, we are working our way through the Yud Gimel um, Ikre Emuna, the 13 Principles of Faith. Um, we had a week a break, but uh, just to get ourselves back on track, we what we did is we went through all 13 once, and then we are going through them again more in depth. So, um, <coughs> the way we broke down the 13 is that the first five are devoted to the belief in Hashem different aspects of the belief in Hashem. Um, the first one was the belief in the existence of Hashem. And we already dealt with that. Um, that's the first of the 13. And the second one is that on top of the mitzvah, and on top of the principle of the belief in the existence of Hashem, uh, we have principle number two, which is the belief in the oneness of Hashem. Achdus Hashem, the oneness of Hashem, um, as indicated in that very... Uh, famous and important pasuk, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, that not only we believe in Hashem, but we believe that Hashem is one. So what we're what we were working our way through is what exactly does that mean when we talk about the oneness of Hashem? What are we referring to when we say the oneness? And in our last class, um, I said that there is five basic steps or five basic levels in understanding the oneness of Hashem. And in that class, we went through the first four um, in very, very short. The first point was, the most simple point, is that there's one God, not two. Not two and not three. Um, versus um, paganism or idolatry or some forms of Christianity that believe in different deities and different entities. So the simplest basic idea of Hashem Echad, that we believe a cardinal principle in our faith is that there's one God, not two and not three. Right? So that's the simple. That's number one. Number two is we talked from the Rambam that Hashem is not made up of parts. Uh, we talked about Hashem is not a murkov, or not grafted of different parts. Really everything that we know in this world is made up of parts, made up of elements. A person is made up of all different types of parts, physically and emotionally and mentally and intellectually. Um, we're made up of parts. And Hashem is everything, but not in a way that it's he's a piece of this and a piece of that and a piece of that. It's a oneness that combines everything. And as Rambam writes, that's something we can't really get our hands around. We can't really grasp what that means, true oneness. So again, we discussed that, but that's number two. So number one is that there's one God, not two. Number two is that Hashem is not made up of different parts. Rather, he's that simplicity that includes all. Uh, point number three, we discussed is that nothing else in this world has any powers whatsoever. Um, all the different, um, whether they be angels, whether they be uh, creations like the sun, the moon, the stars, the wind, um, all of that are only, are merely um, vehicles of Hashem. Or as Chazal call them, like an axe in the hand of the woodchopper. Um, and therefore there's no um, sense in serving or praying or any, any other type of... Um, creation of Hashem that are conduits of Hashem's bracha because they're only conduits. So that's number three, that there's only one Hashem, he's the only koach that there is. Um, number four, we talked more Kabbalistically, is that we talked about Hashem Hu Elohim, the name of Hashem, Yud Kevavke, representing levels that are supernatural, revealed divinity, the level of Elohim is levels of concealment, but ultimately it's all the same. Hashem, both the supernatural and natural powers of Hashem, the um, super rational, that which is above nature, that which is miraculous, 
as well as nature, it's all the same Hashem, it all comes from exactly the same place, and they cannot be a contradiction one to the other. So that was number four. Those were the four levels, the four steps of the oneness of Hashem that we discussed. But I told you there's still number five, and number five is the one that I we're, we're, we're going to discuss tonight. And number five really is the Baal Shem Tov and Hasidus' approach to the oneness of Hashem. Um, I think I may have mentioned in the past that if I were to guess what's the single uh, greatest topic that Hasidus devotes, devotes um, Hasidic discourses and Maimonim to is this topic that we're going to discuss now. And that is, what does it mean, the oneness of Hashem according to Hasidus? And there's so much to talk about, but whatever it is, we're going to condense it into tonight's class. Um, and we're not going to, we will finish this concept in tonight's class. What is the Hasidus approach to, to um, Achdus Hashem, the oneness of Hashem? And I must say, it's a very uh, um, apropos time to discuss it. We're in some of the um, greatest days of the year from the Hasidic perspective. Um, we're right before Yutes Kislev, which is considered the Rosh Hashanah of Hasidus, right after Yud Kislev. And these are special Hasidic dates, so it's um, very apropos to devote this class to the Hasidic perspective of the oneness of Hashem. So, what is it? In short, we really say it in Davni, and we say it in the Aleinu. Um, it's a Pasuk. We say, V'yadayta hayom, we should know, V'ashivos elovecha take to heart, ki Hashem hu alokim. V'ashamayim mimal v'laris mitachas, Hashem is Hashem, in heaven above and earth below, ein od. That there is nothing else but Hashem. Those two words, ein od, which again we say it in the Aleinu, and it's from a Pasuk in the Torah portion of V'eschanon, that we say not only is Hashem one and not two, and that Hashem is one and no one else has any power, but all, the true and ultimate oneness of Hashem means that there is no other real existence in the world outside of Hashem. Or, as another uh, famous Pasuk says, we say this um, some Torah famously, really we say it every time we take out the Torah, you have shown us to know, that there's nothing but Hashem. And of course, that raises the obvious question, what does it mean that there's nothing but Hashem? Um, we're all sitting here in the room, and we are here, and the room is here, and the tables are here, and, and we're all here. Um, and everything around us is here, what do we mean when we say that everything here is not is nothing but Hashem? It I mean, looks like a table, looks like walls, looks like a house, looks like um, hot water, and so on and so forth. What does it mean there's nothing but Hashem? Now, it's important to understand. Does it mean that this world is an optical illusion? The answer to that is a big no. We do not believe this world is an optical illusion. Um, this world is a real creation. What's the best proof that this world is a real creation? Any thoughts? The Torah. The Torah says, the first words of the Torah, Bereshis bara Elohim, God created the world. It doesn't say God created an illusion. right? So to say that the world is an optical illusion is really challenging the very first verse of the Torah that says Hashem created the world and He created heaven and earth and He spent six days creating all the different parts of the world. So clearly... Um, no part of Torah is going to come and tell us the world is, it's, you know, it's just a figment of your imagination. One day you'll wake up and it's not there. Right? So 
the world is a creation of Hashem, and at the same time we say, Ein od milvado, there's nothing but Hashem. How do we reconcile that? How do we understand that? So what I want to do tonight is go through a couple of steps of how that's explained in Chassidus. Um, and primarily, just so you should know for references, <coughs> I'm going to be using tonight two Hasidic discourses, both from the, the fifth Rebbe of Chabad. Right? We know that there are seven Rebbes. The fifth was known as the Rebbe Rashab, Rebbe Shalom Dovber, um, who wrote, in many ways, the, his discourses are um, very unique and some of the deepest and longest discourses in all Hasidus is from that fifth Rebbe. In fact, in the yeshiva system in Chabad, the Hasidus that they're going to learn is primarily based on his Hasidus, based on his writings. Uh, of course, we'll read, learn the Hasidus from all the Rebbes, but the Rebbe Rashab was called the Rambam of Hasidus. He codified everything, set everything up. Um, so I'm going to base what I'm talking tonight on two of his works that he wrote in the first year when he was Rebbe. And that is in um, 1883. 1883. And these are two famous works that are actually, again, they're taught in basic um, yeshiva curriculum in, in the Chabad yeshivas. Okay, so what are some points that he explains in order to, for us to understand this idea of Enod Milvado, that there's really nothing, there's no true existence but Hashem. So we'll start with the first idea. First idea he says is everything in this world, every physical creation has a spiritual source from where it comes. Um, everything, whatever there is down here, is merely a reflection of a spiritual source. And he quotes a medrash. The medrash says it's called Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer. It says the medrash says, okay, what's the source of the earth? Ha'aretz mehechan nivras. What is this source of earth, says the Medrash? Misheleg shetachas kisei hakavod. There's a divine type of snow that's under the kisei hakavod, the heavenly throne. I doubt it's the type of snow that we see on the ground here. But there's some type of divine sheleg, divine snow, under the kisei hakavod from where our earth stems. Okay, that's what the measure says. Then it says, where did light come from in this world? Ha'or mehechan nivras. Now you look in the Chumash, what does it say, where did light come from? Vayomer Hashem yihi or, there should be light. But in the measure he says, what's the source, what's the spiritual source of light? Says the Medrash, and I'm reading, he says, Nis'atef ha'kodesh baruch hu betalis levana. Hashem wrapped himself in a white garment, a white cloak, Vihivhik Ziv Hadaro, from which exactly from which his light shone forth, and that becomes the physical light in this world. And the Medrash goes on to say different types of articles, different things in this world, and says each creation in this world has a spiritual source from where it is derived, from where it comes. Um you're saying he wrapped himself in a talus or white garment? Was it a talus? It says, well, a talus means a garment, really. Oh. A, a talus is the name of talus is a garment, and he wrapped himself in this white, white type of garment, and from which his light comes forth. Of course, it's important to understand we're not talking about a physical white garment. Hashem right. is not physical, so he doesn't have physical clothing. But nevertheless, the Medrash says that there's some spiritual entity above 
from which light comes to this world. There's some spiritual entity above from which the earth comes. Um, the lion, right? You go out, you go to the zoo and you see a lion. What's the spiritual source of the lion? It says that in the Merkava, in the uh, divine chariot that the Navi Yecheskel saw, there was the face of a lion, which was a spiritual malach, a spiritual angel, somehow in the form of a lion, from which the physical lion comes. And so on, thing by thing, creation by creation, all of them have some type of spiritual source. It goes on to say, Chazal say, there's no blade of grass down here that doesn't have a spiritual counterpart from where that blade of grass derives its energy. Don't we just know that because Hashem is spiritual and He created everything? Like, why is this so detailed? No, no. Wondrous. Right. Okay, so, you know, I'll respond to that in a moment. Okay. Because I think when I'll contrast that with something, I think we'll get an answer to that. So, but before that, so basically he's telling us everything down here, whatever physical thing you're looking at, has a spiritual source from where it comes. And basically, it just got lower and lower, went from one step to another to another, until it's our table and our lion and our light and our ground and our earth all comes from a spiritual source from where it's taken. Now, what would happen if the spiritual source would be revealed. In other words, we only see the last step of the creation process, right? We see the physical earth. We see the animal. We see the light. We see the last step of the process. If the higher step of the process would be revealed to us, we would see how this last step is merely an expression of something beyond it, something greater than it. We would stop seeing it as a thing for itself. We would recognize it's only an expression of something spiritual, something higher. So that if a greater, if, if the source would be revealed, so to speak, then all the, the derivatives, that which comes forth from it, would just stop being its own entity. It would be sort of swallowed up in its source. Um, he, he quotes an interesting medrash who says that sometimes malachim, we know there's angels. Now, we don't see angels, but we talk a lot about angels. Today's um, Chumash is a whole story of Yaakov with the angel of Esau. Right? We have today's, in today's uh, portion of Chumash in the Torah, we have Yaakov struggling with the angel of Esau, which means that there's Esau, and Esau has a spiritual angel. And again, that just follows this same idea, that everything has its spiritual counterpart from where it's coming. But again, we only see the tail end of it. We only see the bottom, uh, the you know, final result. So we see Asa, we don't see his angel. We see the physical um, lion, we don't see the spiritual lion from where it's taken. right? But Yaakov, who was able to see Asa's angel, was able to take care of Asa by taking care of his angel. Because he went to the root. So the root of everything is the spiritual source from where it comes above. And therefore, that final... Um, you know, the final step is really unimportant or it's not consequential. If the source of it were to be revealed, then that last step would just sort of be um, included within its source and would stop to be seen as something, as an entity for itself. It's only an expression of its spiritual source. And he says, and therefore, 
this is not an entity for itself. It's only an expression. Um, Shlomo HaMelech writes, has three books of writings that he writes. What are the three books of writings? He has the Shir Hashirim, he has the Mishle, and Kohelas. In the first um, Pasuk, the first verse of Kohelas, he says, he says seven times the word Hevel. What does the word Hevel mean? Vanity or nothingness? Uh, nothingness, really. Nothingness. He says Hevel, Hevel, Hakol, Hevel, Hevel. Seven times. And why does he say seven times Hevel? He says because all the seven days of creation is really nothingness. Meaning, we are only seeing the smallest, tiniest drop. We're seeing the final step of a lot of spiritual steps and a lot of a chain of creation. And therefore he says, if you're able to see deeper, if you're able to see further, if you can see the spiritual source of everything, you recognize that what we're seeing is the tiniest and smallest part of it. It's, um, it's like the tip of the iceberg. You look, if you're only looking at the top of the water, you see the tip of an iceberg. Wow, it's so big. But if you get the entire picture, you recognize that that what you're seeing is really a very, very minuscule thing. Um, and ultimately, the spiritual source will be revealed. Right? It says, it says the Gemara says that this world is a world of 7,000 years. 7 millennium. Um, 6,000 years the world will appear the way we see it. And the seventh year, it says the world will be destroyed. The seventh, meaning the seventh millennium. What does it mean destroyed? Destroyed means the way we see it today, we won't see it then. This is already after Mashiach comes. This is a time of revelation of the spiritual source of everything. At that point, the physical expression will be of least um, significance. And what will be most significant is the spiritual source. All of that is the first step in this mimer, again, that I'm, that I'm reading, learning with you, of the Rebbe Rashab explaining the concept that this world is not an entity for itself. When we say, Enod, really everything is just Hashem. But, but what? This looks like such a big physical world out there. The answer is because we're only seeing the physical final you know, footprint, so to speak. But if, we, if we're able to see deeper and see how this is merely an expression of the spirituality and the spiritual source of everything in this world, ultimately this world stops existing in our eyes as an entity for itself. That is point A. Okay, that's point A that he makes in the mind. But then he moves on to point B, and that's what I want to discuss, and that will, I believe, also deal with your question. When we say that everything in this world is an expression of something spiritual, how does that fit with a very famous concept that we've talked about many times, and that is that this world is created yesh me'ayin. What does yesh me'ayin mean? Literally, something from nothing. Ex nihilo. Ex nihilo. Something from nothing. So is this world something from nothing, or does it have a spiritual source? Let's think about it. A spiritual source indicates that it's something from something. There is the spirituality, there's the table, and that's taken from a higher table, that's taken from a higher table. There's the light, and that comes from Hashem, and there's the lion that comes from the Merkava. So is this, this physical world, is it a world that is sourced in spirituality? Or is it, Hashem said, let there be light, and poof, there became light. And this is related to your question, right? Um, I don't know if there's a video taken of the six days of creation. But if there were to be, I, I'm assuming there's got to be something, but if there were to be, then you would see Hashem say, Yehi or, and then there was light, right? Um, Yehi rakia, and there was a heaven. Yehi, you know, there should be grass, and there was grass. 
So is creation something from nothing? Or is creation an expression of a spiritual source? How do we reconcile these two ideas? It's not, it doesn't have a physical source. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... It's not from matter. So is it sourced there or is it not sourced there? Well, I'm saying it's not, it's not, the spiritual element is not included. It's just, it's not, when it says it comes from nothing, it comes. It doesn't come from a physical source. So it comes from a spiritual source. It doesn't come, in talking, it does not come from physical. So you're saying that nothing means not physical. Yeah. But it means could be spiritual. Okay, so then, so but is it true that it comes out of nothing? You're saying it comes out of nothing spiritual, physical, but something spiritual. Okay, so here, I hear you. Let's see how Hasidus explains it, and we'll see if that fits with what you're saying. Hasidus says the following. When we talk about that light or darkness or animals or tables or trees has a spiritual source, it means that the spirituality of light is sourced in spiritual light. Meaning like this. Everything has, what we call in Hebrew, the chomer, is the matter of it, and then it has its content, its, um, its form. The form, what it does, what it works for, what, it, um, what we use it for, that's the content of everything. Right? Take this. This, what, what is this? Glass. Good answer. What's another answer to this? What is this? Metal. A table. Okay. Right? Two answers. If someone asks, what is this? And they say glass. Someone asks, what is this? They say a table. Which one is right? Both. They're both right. What's the difference? It's made up of glass, but what it is... One is talking about the physical it's matter of it, and one is talking about the content. The, what it serves as... It's function, what we do with it, and so on. Okay. So there is the actual chomer. Chomer is the actual matter. So this is glass, and this is paper, and this is paper, and that's plaster or whatever, right? But then there is, that's not just plaster, it's a wall. This is not just paper, it's a book. This is not just paper, it's a cup. So the difference is, one is talking about the actual physical matter. And one is talking about the type of content that this matter has become. What, the way it was formed, its function, its service. And here comes Hasidus and says something amazing. The matter of this cup is yeshme ayin. The, the matter comes from nothingness because there was no matter before this world. The matter... When we say yesh me'ayin, this is a creation, something from nothing, that is the, the matter of this paper, the matter of this glass. There was no glass in heaven. Anything that's in heaven was spiritual. There was no glass in heaven, there was no paper in heaven, and there was no metal in heaven. So all of the physical matter of this world is yesh me'ayin. It's a new creation. Now, the function is a cup. A cup is a concept, something that holds something, something that can be used. There's a spiritual counterpart to a cup in heaven. There's a spiritual counterpart to a table in heaven. There's a spiritual counterpart to a lion, and to light, and to earth. The spiritual counterpart of earth comes from its spiritual counterpart in heaven. 
The spiritual counterpart of a table or a cup or a lion or a tiger or a wall or a house or a pot or a whatever it is, it, its content, its spirituality is sourced in spirituality in heaven. Its physicality, its matter is yesh me'ayin. That never was in heaven. There never was glass or earth or plaster or metal in heaven. So that, when Hashem said, let there be, poof, suddenly there was metal and wood and glass and paper. Am I being understood? So there's two components in creation. There's the component in creation that is the spiritual content of every part of creation, its function, its usage, the way we see it, the way we call it, like I said, what is this? A table. But this is really glass. The table is a function. The table part comes in what we call hishtalshalus. The table is a chain from its spiritual counterpart in heaven. The glass, that's Hashem's creation. That started in this world. There's no glass in heaven. So mayim ruach eishen afar. So the physical mayim ruach eishen afar are creations. Yesh mayim. There's no source up in heaven of like eish. Not eish as we know it. The, the cont- fire, the fire, the flame strikes to go up to its source. What is so that so then so then it's a physical creation. If it's a physical creation, then it's a physical fire. No, the fire always wants to go up. Up to connect to its source. What does that mean? That's not a spiritual source. That's not a oh, heavenly nothing, source. Nothing that's the physical. That's the that's the element of fire that Hashem created in this earth. The element of fire is a physical element, and that's Yeshmei. Mm-hmm. Now, so in understanding Ein Od Milvad, understanding how everything in this world ultimately the only um, being is Hashem. So the first point that we said was that everything has a spiritual source. Everything has a spiritual source, and therefore it's only the tail end of existence. That's as far as the spiritual content of creation. What about the physical content of creation? What about glass? What about wood? What about you know the, the basic physical elements? What, is, what does it mean, Ein Od Milvado, that there's nothing but Hashem when you think of the physical creation, the Yeshmi Ayin? And here, Hasidus tells us, um, and again, what becomes a cardinal idea of Hasidus, in fact, um, I think I've mentioned in the past, Tanya itself is made up of five sections. The second section of Tanya is devoted to this concept. The second section of Tanya is called Shar Hayichud Vahamuna, the gate of the oneness, the faith in the oneness of Hashem. And there, in the beginning of that second section of Tanya, the Alter Rebbe says what became a basic idea of Hasidus, but a very important one, based on two verses. There's one verse that says, with what did Hashem create this world and everything in it? Utterances. With what utterances, excellent. As the Pasik says, that's the Mishnah. The Pasik says, Bidvar Hashem Shamayim Naasu. Through the words of Hashem, heavens were created. That's Tehillim. I have it written down over here. That's Tehillim in um Lamed Gimel, chapter 33 in Tehillim. Bidvar Hashem Shamayim Nasu, the the heavens, and really every part of creation, is created through words. Hashem said, Yehi Or. Hashem said, Yehi Rakia. Hashem said, Tad Eretz Desha. These were utterances. Or as it says in Pirkei Avos, Basara Mamoros, ten utterances. Right? Nivra Ha'olam. Which part? The spiritual part? The physical. The physical creation. Is the words of Hashem said, let there be physical light. 
Let there be trees. Let there be the firmament. That's the physical creation came from words of Hashem. Then, then there's another pasuk that complements them. And that's also in Tehillim. And here it says, Le'olam Hashem divarcha nitzav bashamayim. Your words forever stand in the heavens. What does that mean? That your words, Hashem, forever stand in the heaven. And here comes the Baal Shem Tov and Tanya and says, Hashem said, let there be light. Hashem said, let there be trees. Hashem said, let there be tables. He didn't actually say that. But ultimately, everything came from words of Hashem. Let there be, let there be. How do we typically understand when something is created? Like you create it, and then it's there. Independently, it continues to be there, right? Like, for example, uh, a house is built, and then the builder leaves, and the house stays, right? So you don't constantly create. You create it, and then it's there. Says the Pasuk that with creation of this world, it's different. Bidvar Hashem Shamayim Nasu, Hashem created the world with words, but Laolam Hashem Nitzav those words are constantly there in heaven, creating it, continually creating the heavens. And of course, the question is why? Why, why didn't Hashem just create it and then take a nap? Why, why does creation have to be continuous? So the answer is, and this is again what the Alter Rebbe deals with with there in Tanya and all these Mamarim talk about this at great length. He says there's a major difference between Hashem creating the heavens and earth and the builder who built the house. Big difference. What's the difference? The difference is when the builder built the house, he didn't really create anything. What did the builder do? He assembled. Assembled change the form of things, but nothing there is dependent on the builder for its existence. They were all around before the builder. So the wood was there, and the plaster was there, and the glass was there, and the plastic was there, and the metals were there, and the builder put it all together. Great job. But they were all there before him, so they can all be there after him, so the builder can leave. When Hashem created the world, he didn't assemble anything. He created it. When you create, if you leave, it disappears. What's a, what's a good example for that? That something that you create from new, you constantly have to recreate. Pregnancy. What you say? You, you can't leave the, the baby. Like, when you, when you have a child inside you, have to you take care the of mother you. can't be gone. Because like, it's still that. being developed in you. Right. still dependent. Okay, okay, okay. You're right, but then the baby is born, and then the baby is sort of independent. Right. So ultimately, that pregnancy becomes something that becomes independent. So it's dependent for the first X amount of months, but ultimately the baby does become an independent um, entity. But here we're trying to find how this world can never become independent. When it comes to real creation, then it can never be independent. Why not? Or better than why not, an example. An example for something that... Because naturally it do, it's, doesn't have its own existence, so it's only going to last as long as I'm pushing it. 
So I'll give you the examples that Hasidus says. And very interesting, very beautiful examples. Best, beautiful examples straight out of the Mimer. It says, you throw, you throw a ball. How long is the ball going to fly? Depends how hard you throw it. Depends how much strength you have that you imparted in the ball. But why shouldn't it just continue? After all, I threw it. Why shouldn't it just go forever? Because gravity. Because it's against the nature of a ball to fly. Its nature is not to fly. Its nature is to fall because of gravity. So how long is it going to fly? As long as I am pushing it. So as long as there's energy of mine in the ball pushing it. In other words, my energy is fighting its natural state. Its natural state is to sit in one place, to fall. My energy is fighting it. As long as there's energy, it's going to fly. The second there's no energy, it stops. Because my energy was creating something new, something against its nature. Or another mushal from Hasidus, a mushal from the Chumash. Um, how did Kriyas Yamsuf happen? How was the Yamsuf split? Anyone remembers? I'm well, not saying you remember from that time, but from Chumash. Some people said that they made a lot of rows for the different shvatim. No, okay, I don't mean in which form it split. I meant what was making the water split? Wind. Wind. The Pasuk says that on that night Hashem made a tremendous wind and the wind held up the waters. That's what it says. Ruach, Kodim, Hashem had this tremendous easterly wind and held up all the waters. Says Chassidus. So when Hashem wanted the waters to capsize on the Egyptians, what did he have to do? Undo perform, it. perform a miracle Undo like water? Stop the, blow. stop the wind. Why? Why couldn't? Well, once it's standing, maybe it'll just stand forever. The answer is again, because you're creating something against its nature. If you're creating something against its nature, take away the power that's making it exist, and it just naturally reverts to its nature. As as soon as you stop... I come at 9.45, 9.30. As soon as no, you stop... I, I told you, I called you to come at... Sorry. When oh, you're yeah. when you're oh, fighting yeah. the natural state of something, so when you stop fighting it, it reverts to its natural state of being. I'm sorry, I told one five, make it twenty. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Now I'll tell you an example that it doesn't say it doesn't say in this forum, but something we can all relate to every day, which is electricity. Electricity makes my uh, refrigerator cold. How long is my refrigerator going to stay cold? As long as the electricity is pumping into it. How long is the oven going to be hot? As long as the electricity is pumping into it. How long is the fan going to turn? As long as the electricity is pumping into it. Why? Once it became hot, why doesn't it just stay hot forever? Because its natural state of being is not for metal to be hot. The natural state of being is not for metal to be cold. The natural state of being is not for a fan to turn. So you need a constant electricity to make that happen. So what do we see? What are all these examples bringing out? Whether we're throwing a ball, whether we're holding up the waters by the Yamsuf, whether we're uh, making a refrigerator cold or an oven hot. What's the common denominator of all these stories? We're changing a natural state of being. And what do you need in order to change a natural state of being? A constant flow of energy to change the natural state of being. 
So I throw the ball, I need the constant energy pushing it. As long as soon as that stops, it drops like dead weight. Um, I'm making the refrigerator cold, pull out the plug, it's done, right? It reverts to the way it is. Yeah, but it could turn into a cabinet. The refrigerator? Yeah. Could turn into it's a always, cabinet. It's always right, but as far as, I, I get that, that's because you're not changing its form. Right. Uh, that's nothing. But the, the chidush, the newness that there's that this cabinet is cold is only as long as there's electricity pumping into it. Says Chassidus, that's the story of creation of this world. This world's natural state of existence isn't. Hashem didn't take metals and form them into a world. Hashem said, let's make a world. So it's new. It's as new as a ball flying. It's as new as a refrigerator becoming cold. It's as new as water standing up. It's even newer than all that. So therefore, just like any form, excuse me, just like any time in this world, when we are creating something new, that newness is only going to remain in existence as long as we're going to uphold that newness. In the same way, Hashem's creation of this world is only there as long as Hashem is saying, be there. So what happens Continue being there. Hashem doesn't create them Shabbos. Yeah, but the words are still up there. It says that Hashem does not create on Shabbos. Yeah, but the, the, whole, words, the words are up there. The words still exist. Hashem creates with words every single day, and on Shabbos it says that he rests. Right. Great question. Great, great question. What happens on Shabbos? On Shabbos, Hashem is not creating in the same way as throughout the week. So what's going on? And in short, the answer to that is that on Shabbos, Hashem doesn't create with his words. He creates with his machshava, which is thoughts. And that's why just like thoughts are a much deeper part of a person than their words, thoughts of Hashem are a deeper part of Hashem. And that's why the world is in a much greater spiritual state on Shabbos, because the same Bria is coming from a higher and deeper level within Hashem. So Hashem is resting from his words and creating from a deeper level within himself, and that's why Shabbos has that greater level of intensity and greater level of Kedusha, which is a very interesting concept, that Shabbos, the world is still here, very much so, but it's not here in the same way. It's just like on Shabbos, we are meant to dig deeper into ourselves and connect to our spiritual depths because on Shabbos is a day where the world is connecting to a deeper level of Hashem and being created through a deeper level of Hashem. Um, are words stronger than thoughts? Are words stronger than thoughts? Good question. Words are more revealed than thoughts. So words have a, pro- a power of revelation. Like sometimes words can be more hurtful than thoughts because they were revealed. Sometimes we tell a person, or a or child, or, or an adult, or if you have nothing nice to say, don't say it, right? Or Think it, too. right? Or comforting. or comforting, right? Words have a power that thoughts don't have because of their power of revelation. So therefore, if I would say something and hurt someone's feeling, and I don't say it, so then I didn't hurt their feelings. So good for me. And if I'm comforting someone, you know, if I would, someone's in pain, so in my mind I would, I really would like to call them, but I don't. So they weren't comforted because they weren't revealed in thoughts, in, in words. So that's the power of words. But, but thought is a deeper power. Um, a person is more, the thoughts are more connected with a person themselves than their words. So if I dwell on bad thoughts, that could have a very terrible effect on me. 
even though it didn't say anything. In a way, it can have even a worse effect. Sometimes, get it out, say it. Don't keep it in your mind. Because thoughts are so much deeper, uh, they're more deeply connected with a person than their words. So your question is that there's, there's a power to words, there's a power to thought. But thought is deeper than words and more connected to the person than words. So when Hashem's connecting to the world from his machshava, that means a deeper level of Hashem is connecting to the world on that day, and that's Shabbos. Because on, on Shabbos he's thinking, so it sounds like that it's higher. It is. Right, it is. And that's why Shabbos is higher. And that's why Shabbos is higher. Is, right. Are there different words that are used like for a creation from a word as opposed to like this Shabbos creation? Yes, 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 yes. We're going to places that I wasn't planning on going here today, but yes, it says, Bidvar Hashem Shamaim Nasu. And there's another passage that says, Kol Asher Chafetz Hashem Asa. Bidvar Hashem is the creation that comes from Dibur. Kol Asher Chafetz is the creation that comes from desire, that you didn't have to even say it. That's, what, that's a deeper form of creation. Um, in general, higher spiritual worlds are created with thought, not with speech. The physicality of this world is more speech-related. And that's why physical is more revealed. Um, in Kabbalistic terminology, this is the difference between what's called almin de iskasya versus almin de isgalya, which is concealed worlds and revealed worlds. The concealed worlds comes from Hashem's machshava and the revealed worlds from Hashem's dibur. And that's from the Zahar. But be that as it may, back to here, this took us a little bit out, but back to here, the point that he's saying is, in explaining those two verses of Tehillim. Bidvar Hashem Shemayim Nasu, it was with the words of Hashem that heaven is created. And then, Laolam Hashem Dvarcha Vashamayim, your words Hashem are in the heavens. And the idea being again that creation wasn't, couldn't be a one time thing. And that's the big point that the Alter Rebbe really pushes in Tanya. That those who think that creation is like a builder who builds a house, are making this ter- these terrible mistakes, says the altar, a terrible comparison. The builder who built the house didn't create anything new. And therefore, the builder can leave and the house remains. Hashem is creating this new entity, and therefore he has to be there at every point, continuously energizing it, continu- continually energizing its existence. So like the famous trivia question, if Hashem would want to destroy something, what would he have to do? So stop energizing it, right? It's not like if Hashem really wants to destroy this house, he'll, you know, he can flood it. He can you know, hit it with lightning. That's, that's, that's thinking that the house is there and Hashem is bigger than it. But really, if Hashem wants something not to exist anymore, no problem, just stop creating, right? Stop sending that flow of energy and it's just not there anymore. No, because Hashem wants, you know, Hashem, does, Hashem is not like fickle, he like changes his mind every, every once in a while. The earthquake comes and destroys. Right, but, but in those places, note, he didn't just stop creating the world. He, he, he destroyed the world with a flood. He didn't say, poof, no world, because he didn't want no world. He wanted a purified world. So the flood purified the world. He didn't want the world to stop existing. No, I'm talking about animals that are extinct. Whatever. I don't know. You know, the there's a, the professor was teaching in class that the world is is, is round. 
like a big you know, globe. And one of the kids said, so if so, why aren't there people falling off the sides? Professor says, sure, it happens all the time. <laughs> you know, there's missing people. You know, what they just slipped off or something, right? Anyhow, um, I'm not going to, you know, give all the mysteries of creation. But but Hasidus definitely, this is a, a, a focal point of Hasidus, that creation is ongoing. Everything has to constantly be energized by the creator in order to be in existence. Can you say that even destruction is part of the creation because there's a purpose to Correct. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. Hashem, when Hashem destroys, it's not by stopping to create. It's part of the process of, of the world. And destruction is a purifying force. And we just see a little part of it. We don't this is correct. Like, and, and like, but in hindsight, when you see the, the, the marble, the great flood, but the world then very much existed and was a better world and a purified world through it, not a world that stopped existing. But it does say that Hashem regretted. Hashem regretted the creation in the way that it was and therefore wanted it to be purified and changed. But that, he, never, he didn't take it back. He didn't stop creating. So, says Hasidus, if so, and here comes the, here is really the punchline. Some people stop before the punchline, and, but the punchline is the following statement. Once we understand that the driving force of the exist, the continuous driving force of every existence is the words of Hashem in it that are making it go. So then if we sit back and think, okay, so what, what is the true existence of this table or of this wall? What is its true entity? Now, of course, we see glass. But says Hasidus, but what's really the what's the true entity behind this glass? Is the divine energy that's saying, be there. The divine energy that's energizing at every moment. Now, we don't see divine energy, we see glass. But you know, especially with today's science, it's so much easier to understand. You know, ask a scientist, what is this? atoms, molecules, whatever. But I don't see it. I just see glass. He says, yeah, you're seeing the most external expression of it. But really, what's putting it together? What's it made up of? So science says, you know what it's made up of? Atoms. Atoms or molecules. Hasidus says, you know what it's made up of? Devar Hashem. The divine energy that's putting those molecules together, those atoms together, and therefore making us feel glass. No one can argue that we touch glass. But the question is, what is the glass? What's the energy behind it? So, again, the scientist will give you his formula, what it is. And Hasidah says, it's the word of Hashem that's giving it its energy to exist. So if we follow our previous example of throwing a ball in the air. We're sitting at the table and someone throws a ball through the air. Would anyone say, wow, a flying ball? No. Why not? Well, it is a flying ball, technically. It's a ball that's flying. But none of us will say, wow, I didn't know flying balls. Amazing. We won't say flying balls. Why? Because we know balls can't fly. So there's got to be energy from someone carrying that ball through the air. So we look at it. We don't say, oh, a flying ball. We say, wow, there's strong strong energy there. Right? So Hasidus looks at a table and says, saying, wow, tables. That's the saying, flying balls. What's a table? Energy. What energy? The divine energy that's making this table into a table. And that, says Hasidus, is what it means, Einod Milvado, that there's nothing but Hashem. We say, what do you mean there's nothing but Hashem? There's tables. He says, yeah, but what is a table? The table is the divine energy that's in the table every second, 
making it a table. So the table never becomes an entity for itself. It's an expression of the divine energy that's making the table a table. The, the ball is not a flying ball. It's the expression of the energy carrying it through the year. The fridge is not really a cold metal box. There is energy making it cold. It never became an independently cold metal box. If it would be a cold metal box, you can unplug it and it's going to remain cold. It's not. So Hasidus says, that's what it means, Achdus, the oneness of Hashem. That everything that we see is merely an expression of divine energy making it be. Is there a difference between the Chumar and Sur on each thing? Yeah. See, again, to be clear, the first step of our class, we said that everything has a spiritual source. Then we were talking about the spirituality of everything. Remember, it's a little little bit philosophical over here. But there is the glass and there is the table. The table is an expression of spiritual tables. So that's not separate from Hashem because it's only an expression of the spiritual. The physicality of the, the glass... That's an expression of the Dvar Hashem that's making it into existence. So again, it's nothing but Hashem. So whether you want to look at the spiritual content of the table, that's merely an expression of the spiritual content of whatever tables are in heaven, or if you want to talk about glass and physical creation, so what we've been talking about is that anything that's new, a new creation, is only there because Hashem is constantly renewing its energy. So therefore, its existence is the divine energy that's pushing it into existence. I want to take this one more step. In the, we have very little time left, but quickly one last step that he goes through in Tanya and in the end of the Memorium as well. And that is the following. The word of Hashem that creates the world is merely but a ray of Hashem. The words that come from Hashem is not Hashem himself. They're only an expression of Hashem. And here Hasidus moves off into one of its great mishal and one of its great metaphors that it uses. It talks about the sun and its rays. There's a sun, and the sun gives off light. Are there rays of the sun inside the sun? Has anyone ever been inside the sun? <laughs> Probably not. I bet there is. There must be. Yeah, how does it come out? No, it has to be because... The rays have energy in it also because of the light comes from. Great. Says Chasidus, and again, our time is very limited. Says Chasidus, for sure there's rays of the sun in the sun. If the rays can travel who knows how many miles outside of the sun, then the the first place where there are those rays are in the sun. However, here's the big however. Says Chasidus, if you would take a trip to the sun, which is probably not safe, but if you'd have a way to peer into the sun, you wouldn't see rays. You would only see sun. Fire. Because although the rays are there, when they're inside of their source, they're totally swallowed up in their source. They wouldn't have, you wouldn't see any independent entity of rays in the sun. They gotta be there. But they're so. It's a projection. They're so nullified within their source that there they would never be called rays. They can only become rays when they're outside of their source. And here comes Hasidus with one of its punchlines and says, well, guess what? Hashem is the source of everything. Hashem is like the sun. Everything, Hashem's words, Hashem's energies, 
creations are all like rays of the sun. Do the rays of the sun exist independently inside of the sun? Of course not. Says Hasidus, well, guess what? Where is Hashem? Everywhere. Including right here. And we are but rays of Hashem. But we're inside of the Hashem. We're inside of the sun. So if if the rays inside of the sun can't have their own independent entity because they're swallowed up in the sun, all of us and everything are merely expressions of that divine energy. So all of us, which are expressions of Hashem, like rays of the sun, are constantly inside the sun because Hashem is everywhere. Now, after you finish getting your mind around that, Okay, it's just, it's one, two, three. There's a reason you didn't get it. Give me a second. There is there is the sun and there is the rays. Rays come out of the sun and are independent entities because they're outside of the sun. If you trace the rays back inside the sun, over there they're all swallowed up in their source, so they don't have their independent entity. Says Chassidus, we and all of creation are but rays of Hashem, rays of divine expression of divine energy. But Hashem is everywhere. That means all of us are always inside of our source. Says Tanya, whoa, if so, how can we ever feel like an independent entity? And how can we be a ray then? How can we be a ray if we're inside the sun? It makes no sense. We should all always feel how we're totally swallowed up in our source. And there's one place in the entire book of Tanya where the Atrebbe finishes the chapter with a question. And that's this question. The end of the third chapter of that section of Tanya, of the oneness of Hashem, he says, how can the world, even for a moment, feel like an independent independent entity? And he leaves the chapter with that question. And he starts chapter four. And here he says, he says, just like Hashem's power of creation is a power that we can't, is, eludes us, it's beyond our imagination how Hashem can be the creator of all worlds and all the cosmos and everything. Hashem's power of allowing us to sense ourselves as an independent entity is an even greater miracle than the miracle of creation. So we only sense it. Th- that we don't sense it. No, we're real because we are really an expression, an extension of Hashem. Yes. He says, it's re- no, going back to the beginning of our class, I don't want anyone coming out of here to say that we learned tonight that we're an optical illusion. We're not. Hashem created us. But what are we really? An expression of Hashem. An expression of divinity and of divine energy. Our ability to w- walk around and function and feel, oh, I'm an independent entity. Hashem? You know, maybe I'll do him a favor and say hello. But I'm really an independent entity. That feeling that we have, says the Alter Rebbe, is equally or greater than the miracle of creation. He says, we say in Davening, Hakel Hagadol Hagibor. That's number three. But first we say Hagadol and Hagibor, says Tanya. Hagadol is the power of creation. Hagibor is the power of concealment. So just like miraculously Hashem creates everything, The next miracle is that everything feels that they're independent. We're in the truthfully, they're merely an expression of Hashem's rays within Hashem. Like the ray of the sun within the sun, 
which has no independent entity. It's a creation, but not independent. It's only there as an expression of its source, and it's still within its source. This, then, says Hasidus, is what Ein Od Novado means. Then how do we have free will? That's part of it. Because Hashem gave part, us part of the... Is the independence. Part of the ability, but we have the feeling of independence, and Hashem, Hashem says, you, you can operate on that feeling. We work with that feeling, and it says it's up to you now to use that independence with whatever way you want. Ultimately, whatever happens in this world is part of Hashem's plan. But nevertheless, we are given the ability, the free reign, to act and feel and see as we want. Ultimately, though, everything is ultimately Hashgacha Pratis. Everything is ultimately an expression of Hashem. But so really we have the, the MS of Ein Od Milvado, that whatever happens and whatever goes on is all an expression of Hashem. And at the same time, Hashem, with his givura, with his severity, conceals all of that, puts us in our mindset, in our mind frame, that we are independent and we make decisions. And he gives us a Torah and mitzvahs. And he says, I want you to make good decisions and not bad decisions. And there's consequences for what you do and so on and so forth. It's all true because Hashem created these two sides of the story. How on the one hand, it's all an expression of him and every part of creation is constantly being energized by him and every part of everything. And at the same time, he totally conceals himself from all, in, in all that and allows us to have that perception of independence and gives us a Torah mitzvah, what to do with our independence. And Dafka wanted a world in that way. But all of this is in very short, the Hasidus' understanding of this second principle of Achtus, the oneness of Hashem, that not only there isn't two gods, not only is not made up of parts, not only doesn't anything else have independent power, not only is Hashem who Elohim, but in Od Milvado, everything is ultimately truly an expression of the oneness of Hashem. And obviously the more a person understands that, thinks about that, relates to that, um, the more connected to Hashem they feel, and the more the truth of Hashem becomes the truth of their own lives. That is the end of, wow. of yeah, this, this second. <laughs> Makes you want to think. <laughs>